Well, good morning. Um, really glad to be worshiping with y'all in person and online. Uh, if I haven't gotten the chance to meet you yet, my name's Kelsey. I have the privilege of starting our new young adult ministry, which has been really great. Um, I'm also a mom to a very young baby um, and things that I'm learning about. Uh, she's almost 10 months old. Things I'm learning about babies is they're little bundles of joy and little bundles of mucus. Um, and they really like to spread that mucus around. So um, that's what you're hearing this morning. Uh, she loves bringing home uh, colds for me from daycare. So she's very thoughtful in that way. Um, but this morning we are continuing our series, Square One, where we are going through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts documents the Acts of the Apostles post Jesus's resurrection. And these apostles were at square one of building a church. Jesus had ascended to heaven and was no longer physically with them, and they were figuring out how to be the church. They were figuring out how to be disciples of Jesus together and follow his way of life. And the series is titled Square One, not only because the apostles were at square one, but at Grace Commons, we also find ourselves in a place where we see and feel the need to go back to square one, back to the basics, back to who Jesus envisioned us to be so that we can move forward as a church, so that we can remember our purpose as a body of believers. And something that has struck me as we have been going through the series and in my own study is that the book of Acts is not called the beliefs of the apostles or thoughts of the apostles or tenets of the apostles, but rather acts of the apostles. The book of Acts records the actions of the early church. And outsiders at the time, um, and two outsiders at this time, these early believers were known as followers of the way. Not believers of the way, not thinkers of the way, but followers of the way of Jesus. They were known, not for their doctrine, but for the way that they followed Jesus in their lives. They were known by the way they followed his teachings, his life, and the example that he left. And often when I think of the actions of the early church, I think most often of how they preached how they served the poor and the marginalized, how they healed people from ailments that had plagued them their whole lives and how they were boldly proclaiming the saving work of Christ and even how they were risking their own lives and safety for the purpose of spreading the good news of Jesus. That's often what I think of. But these actions out in the community, they were certainly important and impactful and only strengthened their case for Christ. But what I've so often missed as I've read through the book of Acts is that those actions were birthed out of a community of believers who were committed to loving one another. At square one, they took seriously Jesus's command to love one another. Our external actions of preaching the gospel, healing, and serving the poor are incredibly important and we should continue to do these things. But to the early church, they were no more important than Jesus's command to love one another. So my hope this morning is that we learn through the lives of the early believers and that we would be encouraged by their example and go back to square one of loving one another as Christ has loved us. So let's pray and then we'll see what we can learn from the early church. <clears throat> Lord, we're grateful uh, to be together this morning. We're grateful uh, for your word. We're grateful for the recording um, that Luke wrote down for us in Acts so that we can learn from these early believers um, so that we can learn uh, from you. 
So Lord, would you help teach us and lead us and guide us this morning? We love you and we praise your name. Amen. Um, so to help us learn from the early church what it looks like to love one another, I've had two sort of driving questions as I've been preparing this message. One is, what was compelling them to love one another? And then, how are they actually doing it? And to answer the question of what was compelling them to love one another, I think it's important for us to place where we are in the early church, where we will be at in the book of Acts. And where we will be at this morning is just a few weeks out from when the 12 disciples sat down at a meal with Jesus to celebrate Passover. We now know this as the Last Supper, but these disciples had no idea what was about to happen. And at this meal, Jesus took the lowly position of a servant and he washed the disciples' feet. And towards the end of this act, he said to his disciples, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And as the meal progressed and they broke bread together, Jesus then gave them a new command. Jesus said to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Then not long after this, the disciples witnessed Jesus get arrested, which then led to his crucifixion. They witnessed the one they had been following die, but then a few days later, they witnessed his empty tomb. And then they witnessed their risen Lord before he ascended into heaven. And these events changed the disciples. The resurrection proved that Jesus was who he said he was, and not only that, but they saw their Lord, their Savior, their King completely lay down his life for their sake. They saw him lower himself and serve them by washing their feet. And then they witnessed lower himself even further to the point of death for the sake of all. And what we see throughout the book of Acts and especially in today's passages is that Jesus's life, his death and his resurrection changed the way these early believers interacted with and related to one another. And the same way they saw Jesus lay down his life for them, they are now laying down their lives for one another in a beautiful picture of loving community. It was not lost on the disciples that Jesus told them that they should do as he had done for them. It was not lost on them that Jesus was the example they should live by. And they took seriously his command to love one another as Jesus had loved them. And they trusted Jesus when he said that in the simple act of loving one another, everyone will know that they are his disciple. And the early church was compelled by the resurrection. They were gripped by the fact that Jesus had given himself away. And because of this, their movement of following the way of Jesus gave birth to a community that looked and operated shockingly different from the surrounding culture. So what did it actually look like for them to love one another? To answer this, we'll look at two specific moments in Acts where Luke pauses from recording specific events of the good news of Jesus being proclaimed and miraculous acts of the apostles and many coming to know and follow Jesus. Luke pauses. My daughter is so squeaky. <laughs> Gracious. Luke pauses to give his audience a picture of what this community of believers was like. And what he records about this new community of disciples is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to completely devote yourself to the way of Jesus and to one another. 
So the per first picture we get of this is in Acts chapter two, starting in verse 42, and this is what Luke writes. He said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor, favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then he records something similar in Acts chapter four, starting in verse 32. And Luke writes this, he said, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need." So in these instances, it's almost as if Luke is trying to say, here is why all of these miraculous events are happening. Here is why thousands are coming to know Jesus. Here is why people are getting healed. Look at their lives. What is happening is the overflow of living out of a loving and selfless community. Luke is trying to say that these disciples are not only preaching about Jesus, but their lives reflect Jesus. This is a community of individuals no longer living by I and mine, but rather we and ours. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit coupled with the fact that Jesus gave his life up for the sake of their lives enabled this community to live radically unselfish lives. It shook them loose from possessiveness of material things and self-seeking to a place where they saw everything that they owned, everything that they had access to as something that was for the betterment of one another and those in their surrounding community. And one commentator I read said it better than I ever could, so I didn't paraphrase, I'm just gonna read the whole quote. So, this is what he said. <clears throat> the members of the church are of one heart and soul because all are centered on Jesus, who unifies deep within. Thus, dedicated to Christ and one another, no one claims private ownership of any possessions. All things belong to the Lord and are in loan to them for the good of the community. Thus, Luke can say that everything they own is held in common. This enables them to testify to the resurrection of the Lord with great power. They can rise above selfish material interests so that the spiritual realities take first place in their testimony, and the grace of God is made manifest in them all. What great uses of the word thus. But also, what a great point that he's making that they were able to rise above their material and even their daily needs because of their commitment to Jesus and their commitment to one another. They were sharing everything that they had so that no one was in need. And this freed them up to then care for the poor, to speak and preach boldly and spread the gospel throughout the world. 
They were so changed by the resurrection and the Holy Spirit that they were no longer concerned with these material things, but were rather concerned with following the way of Jesus and his command to love one another. And Luke writes that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. He writes that all who believe were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone they had need. And day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home, and they ate their food with glad and generous hearts together. These early believers were completely devoting themselves to one another. Day by day, they were together. They spent much time together and they were giving themselves away to one another in the same way that Christ had given himself up for them. What we see in the early church is radical unselfishness and radical love towards one another. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I read these accounts and sometimes it kind of seems too good to be true. But I think that Luke is trying to make clear to his readers that this is not too good to be true. This is what life and community can look like for those who repent and follow the way of Jesus. This is what a community looks like for those who live out of the power of the Holy Spirit and victory of the resurrection. This is what a community looks like when you seek to love one another as Christ has loved you. This is what it looks like to be a community together of Christ's followers. And at this time, this way of living was countercultural. And I believe even still today, this way of living and being is countercultural. For them, this didn't quite fit the mold of an honor-shame culture where you would do whatever is necessary to bring honor upon yourself and your family, no matter what it cost others. In the first century, you certainly didn't meet the, the needs of others. You were meeting your own needs first. And we live in a culture today that says, you to you. Do whatever feels good and right to you. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. We live in a culture where one's own self is regarded more highly than anyone else. And Joe pointed out a few weeks ago that we live in a a culture where it is praised and esteemed to be self-reliant, to get things done for yourself and not have to rely on anyone else. We live in a culture that praises individuality and autonomy. But what we see in the early church are deep, interdependent, loving relationships that stood in stark contrast to the autonomy of the outside culture. All of their actions were birthed out of a community of believers who were committed to loving and serving one another. And because of this, outsiders were drawn to them. They were living so differently from the culture around them that hundreds and thousands of people were coming to know Christ because of the lived testimony of their lives. And friends, today's church can do the same. Our church can do the same. For the last several years, I've been working with uh, Dave Palmer in university ministry. And you may or may not this, thanks Cody, (laughs) gracious. Um, Holland is loud because Cody is loud. So that's where she gets it from. I love you. Yeah, he's fine with it, he loves it. Okay, you may or may not know this about Dave. and I say this lovingly, but he's a really big nerd when it comes to plants and trees, forests, real big nerd about that. So over the years, I've uh, learned many things also about plants, trees, forests, etc. cetera. Um, so thank you, Dave. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I find really fascinating about forests and forest trees in particular is how communal trees are. 
For a long time, scientists believed that trees were these striving, disconnected, competitive loners. Each tree was just a resource-grabbing individualist doing whatever it could to survive. Just survival of the fittest out there in the forest. But scientists are now coming to understand that this is so far from the truth of what's actually happening. They've come to learn that forest trees, despite different species, live in cooperative, interdependent relationships. What forest trees understand is that they will live the longest and reproduce most often when the entire forest is healthy. Each tree is helping out its neighbor tree knowing that it is good for the entire community of trees. And I don't believe that this is just some coincidence in nature. The same God who created us and commanded us to love one another is the very same God who created these trees. So of course, these trees have the best chance for survival and for growth when they are loving one another. The whole forest is healthy when trees are living cooperatively and interdependently. And I would contend that the whole church is healthy when we are living cooperatively and interdependently. Man, the babies over here this morning are great. <clears throat> John Mark Comer, um, he has a really beautiful definition of what, it, of what love is in the New Testament. And so as I close, I'll um, say this quote. He writes this, love in the New Testament is the compassionate commitment of the heart to delight in the soul of one another and to will that person's good ahead of your own, no matter the cost to yourself. Compassionate commitment to the heart of the heart to delight in the soul of one another, to will that person's good ahead of your own, no matter the cost to yourself. This is the love that Christ has given to us. It is the love that we have been empowered to give to one another. Loving one another matters. Loving one another is not an afterthought. This isn't the thing that we do after we've served the poor or preached the gospel or done miraculous and amazing things around our city. Loving one another should be central to who we are as a body of believers. And just like the early church, all of the other actions will be the overflow of our love for one another. The way we love one another will overflow into the ways that we are for bolder with love. Loving one another matters. The early church loved one another by simply being together in the temple, breaking bread with one another and eating with glad and generous hearts and freely giving and selling their resources to meet the needs of others so that no one was in need. And loving one another today is just as simple as that. Loving one another is showing up to your common space group or men's life or women's group. Loving one another is coming here on Sunday mornings and being together. Loving one another is sharing meals together, breaking bread. And loving one another is making sure that no one in this community is in need. It is bringing meals to those who are sick, recently bereaved, or even welcoming life into this world. It is providing money, resources, possessions, housing, whatever is needed to someone who is lacking. Friends, I don't fully understand how all of this works, only that Jesus said it. Others will know that we are his disciples by how we love one another. And what we see in the early church is that because they loved one another, many were coming to faith in Jesus. Loving one another will be for the health of the church, the survival of the church, and the growth of the church.
Going back to square one is remembering that loving one another matters. Those in our community will know that we follow the way of Jesus by the way we love one another, the way that we give ourselves up for one another, the way we freely give and share our resources, our possessions, our time with one another. We must live in deep, vulnerable, interdependent relationships that stand in sharp contrast to the individuality and autonomy of our day. And we must trust that doing this will overflow into actions for the sake of the community around us. The way that Boulder will be transformed will not start with all of our good deeds and our acts of service in the community. The way that Boulder will be transformed will begin with how we here love one another how we show up for one another, how we serve one another, how we give ourselves up for one another, how we become so changed and transformed and gripped by the fact that Christ gave himself up for us, how we become so changed by living in the victory of the resurrection that we cannot help but love as Christ has loved us. Everyone will know that we are disciples of Jesus by how we love one another. So let's pray and we'll continue in worship. Lord, we are grateful for your example and your command to love one another. So Lord, would you help us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us as we seek to love one another as you have commanded, to do as you have done for us? Lord, it is in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.